Uh, I'm disappointed at the comments from the Honourable Member who was at with a meeting with me yesterday with the Transport Minister. More importantly, he should highlight, for example, the huge investment in the new Berwyn prison in Wrexham, which yeah. is creating jobs and has been seen as an example of how to do public sector investment in Wales and the UK. Yeah. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Question, Mr. Michael Fabrican. Question number one, sir. The Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The economy in the West Midlands is performing well. Businesses are continuing to invest, and since 2010, employment in the West Midlands has risen by 180,000. That is because Conservatives in government have safeguarded the economy. And as a result, my, right, my honourable friend asked about public services. As a result, there are more doctors and more nurses in his hospitals because you can only have strong public services when you have the strong and stable leadership that delivers a strong economy. Michael Fabrican! Mr Speaker, I think what this nation needs is a strong and stable government. But isn't it the case that thanks to devolution, we won't only just have, I hope, strong and stable government after the general election, but in the West Midlands, strong and stable leadership if the right choice is made after May the 4th. friend makes a very powerful point because on the 4th of May people in the West Midlands have the opportunity to elect a strong local leader who will oversee £8 billion of investment and I think that in Andy Street they have absolutely the man who has the local knowledge, he has the business experience and he has the commitment to the West Midlands to deliver for the whole of the West Midlands. Then of course on the 8th of June people in the West Midlands have the opportunity to elect the strong and stable leadership of a Conservative government working together strong Conservative leadership in the West Midlands and strong Conservative leadership in government will deliver for the West Midlands. Richard Drax, number two sir. Mr. Prime Speaker, Minister. this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Speaker, in 2015, a group called the Socialist Campaign for Labour Victory incredulously drew up a plan to disband MI5, disarm the police and scrap our nuclear deterrent. Would my right honourable friend allow anyone who endorsed such a plan to write her manifesto or indeed serve in her cabinet. Minister. I, can, I can tell my honourable friend that my answer to that is a resounding no, I would not. And can I commend my honourable friend who has a proud record of defending our country, but he's raised an important point because of course the leader of the opposition has chosen just such a person. The plan to disband MI5 to disarm our police and to scrap our nuclear deterrent was endorsed by the Right Honourable Gentleman's policy chief and even by his shadow chancellor. And again at the weekend we saw the Right Honourable Gentleman refusing to say he would strike against terrorism, refusing commit to commit to our nuclear deterrent and refusing to keep our, uh, control our borders, keeping our country safe is the first duty of a Prime Minister. The Right Honourable Gentleman is simply not up to the job. Jeremy Corbyn!
Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This is the this is the last Prime Minister's question time of this Parliament. And uh, I think it would be appropriate, Mr Speaker, if we all paid tribute to those colleagues who have decided to leave the House at the end of this Parliament. Thank them for their service. Thank them, thank them for their service to democracy in this country. And to thank you, Mr Speaker, for the way you presided over this House and, and the way in which you have sought to reach out to the wider communities in this country. Mr Speaker, when I became Leader of the Opposition 18 months ago, I, I said, well, they, if they'll wait a moment, I'll explain what I'm about to say. I said I wanted people's voices to be heard in Parliament. So, Mr Speaker, instead of just speaking to hand-picked audiences who can't ask questions, I hope the Prime Minister won't mind if she answers some questions today from the public. Give it a try. Give it a try. Never know. I start, Mr Speaker... I start, Mr Speaker, with Christopher, who wrote to me this week, and he says, in the last five years... My husband has had only a 1% increase in his wages. The cost of living has risen each year. We now have at least 15% less buying power than them. So where is Christopher and his husband's share in the stronger economy? Minister. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I first of all join the Right Honourable Gentleman in commending those colleagues who who are leaving who are leaving the House for the service that they have shown to their constituents and to Parliament over the years. Can I also uh, say a huge thank you to the staff of the House of Commons and of Parliament who support us in the work that we do here in this chamber and elsewhere. Uh, I will come on to the point about I note, by the way, that the Right Honourable Gentleman didn't take the opportunity uh, to stand up and show how he would actually stand up for the defence of our country. Once again, he missed that opportunity. Um, I note what the the Right Honourable Gentleman is saying about wages uh, increasing. I see today that he is talking about paying for extra uh, wage increases in the National Health Service. I think we should, first of all, recognise, actually, that for people working in the National Health Service, around half of those staff because of progression and basic pay increases will actually see, on average, a pay increase of 4% in their payroll. What we know, what we know, what we know, and what I can say to Christopher is that he will have a choice at the next election a choice between the strong and stable leadership of the Conservatives, which will secure our economy for the future, and a Labour Party which would crash our economy, which would mean less money for public services, and would, the ordinary working families would pay the price. Mr Speaker, isn't the truth that uh, many people are being held back by this government that has slashed taxes for the rich and held back or cut the pay of dedicated public servants? Uh, Mr Speaker, Andy, a parent, is concerned about how his children are being held back. He asks why, despite the fact they've worked consistently since leaving school, all three of my children, who are now in their mid 20s 
cannot afford to move out of the family home. Isn't this a crisis that many people are facing all over the country? Don't we need a housing strategy that deals with it? First of all, let's look and see what happened under a Labour government for housing. Under, under the last, under the last Labour government, house house building starts fell by 45%. Under the last Labour government, homes purchased in England fell by 40%. And the number of social rented homes under a Labour government fell by 420,000. Under the Conservatives, we've seen more than twice as much council housing being built than under the last Labour government. That's a record of the Conservative government delivering on housing, delivering for ordinary working families. Mr Speaker, the last Labour government delivered a decent home standard for every council home in the whole of the country, and it's something we are very proud of, very proud of indeed of that achievement. And her government, house building has fallen to the lowest level since the 1920s. More people homeless, more people on waiting lists, more people overcrowded, more people unable to pay the rent. That is the record of the Tory government. And Mr Speaker, our children are being held back by Conservative cuts. Laura, a young primary school teacher, wrote to me this week saying, I'm seeing a decrease each year in available cash to provide a quality education to the children in my class and an increase in reliance upon our Parent Teachers Association. So is the Prime Minister still denying the fact that funding for each pupil is still being cut? What I would say to Laura is that we said we would protect school budgets, and we have. Uh, we, have seen record, we have seen record levels of funding going into schools in this country. But at, this, at the election on the 8th of June, at the election on the 8th of June, people are going to have a very clear choice. They will have a choice between a Conservative government that has delivered 1.8 million more good and outstanding school places for children across this country. Uh, a Conservative government that believes in parents having choice in a range of schools, providing the education that is right for every child and a good school place for every child. And a Labour Party, the right honourable gentleman who believes in a one-size-fits-all, take everybody down to the lowest common denominator, take it or leave it. We believe in encouraging aspiration and helping people to get on in their lives. Mr Speaker, Labour isn't slashing school budgets. Labour isn't putting money into pet projects. We want every child, every child, to have a decent chance in a decent school. We don't want an education system that relies on begging letters from the schools in order to maintain employment and books in the classroom. Many people feel, Mr Speaker, the system is rigged against them. Maureen wrote to me this week, if I was you I'd listen to what Maureen has to say. I really would. I really would because she writes and she writes with a heavy heart 
We have been treated disgustingly. Most of us women born in the 1950s will not be receiving our pension until we are 66, with no notification of this drastic change. We have worked for 45 years and have accrued more than enough to be paid our pension. People want what is rightfully theirs. Maureen asks, what can be done to help the waspy women? Prime Minister. What I say to uh, the issue that Maureen has raised is that the government has taken steps to help these uh, women. We have made, we have put extra, uh, there's extra funding means made available, and we've ensured that there is a limit to the period of time that uh, uh, is affected in relation to these changes. But if the Right Honourable Gentleman wants to talk about pensions and pensioners looking to the future, then once again there will be a very clear choice at this election. A clear choice, a clear choice between a Labour Party who in government saw the increase in pension, basic state pension of 75 pence in one year and a Conservative government whose changes to pensions, being basic state pensioners, are £1,250 better off. But you only get that with a strong economy. And what do we know about Labour? Only yesterday we saw that we had finally emerged from Labour's economic crash. What we now see, what we now see is a Labour Party that would do it again. Crash the economy, more debt, more waste, higher taxes, fewer jobs. That does nothing for ordinary working families or for pensioners. Mr Speaker, millions of waspy women will have heard that answer, as have the other questions that I put not been answered today. I simply say this. Labour will guarantee the triple lock. Labour will treat pensioners with respect and we won't move the goalposts to people looking forward to retirement. Sybil, Mr Speaker, who witnessed the Labour founding of the National Health Service which made health care available for the many, not just the few, wrote to me this week and she says this, I'm 88 and have had a wonderful service from the National Health Service, but nowadays I'm scared at the thought of going into hospital. With more people waiting more than four hours in the A&E, more people waiting on trolleys in corridors, more delayed discharges, Mr Speaker, thanks to the Tory cuts. Isn't Sybil right to be frightened about the future of NHS so long as this government remains in office? Well, can I just say to the Right Honourable Gentleman on the National Health Service, our National Health Service is now treating more patients than it ever has before. We're seeing more people having operations, we're seeing more doctors, more nurses, uh, more midwives, more GPs and record levels of funding into our National Health Service. Uh, but but it's only possible with a strong economy, and that's only possible with a strong and stable government. And of course, over the coming weeks, we are all going to be out there campaigning across the country, as I will be, taking our record in the National Health Service. I did note, I did note this week that the Shadow Home Secretary has been campaigning in her own personal way. She has directed her supporters, her followers, to a website. I like Corbyn, but. <laughs> it says, 
pay for all this. But I've heard he wants to increase taxes. But I've heard he's a terrorist sympathiser. But his attitudes about defence worry me. They are right to be worried, unable to defend our country, determined to raise tax on ordinary workers, no plan to manage our economy. Even his own supporters know he's not fit to run this country. Mr Speaker, my question was about the National Health Service and Sybil's concerns. The NHS hasn't got... The NHS has not got the money it needs. The Prime Minister knows that. She knows waiting times and waiting lists are up. She knows there's a crisis in almost every A&E department. Maybe she could go to a hospital and allow the staff to ask her a few questions. Mr Speaker, strong leadership is about standing up for the many, not the few. But when it comes to the Prime Minister and the Conservatives, they only look after the richest, not the rest. They are strong against the weak and weak against the strong. Far, far from building a strong economy, schools and our NHS are being cut. People can't afford homes, millions can't make ends meet. That doesn't add up to a stronger economy for anyone. Mr Speaker, the election on the 8th of June is a choice between a a Conservative government for the few and a Labour government that will stand up for all of our people. If the Right Honourable Gentleman wants to talk about the NHS, perhaps he should talk about Labour's custodianship of the NHS in Wales. There is somewhere somewhere where the NHS has been cut. It's in Wales under the Labour Party. But the Right Honourable Gentleman is right. In something over six weeks, we will be back at these dispatch boxes again. And the only question is, where will we be standing? Who will be Prime Minister of this great country? And he says the choice is clear. And the choice is clear. Every vote for him is a vote for a chaotic Brexit. Every vote for me is a vote to strengthen our hand in negotiating the best deal for Britain. Every vote for him is a vote to weaken our economy. Every vote for me is a vote for a strong economy with the benefits felt by everyone across the country. And every vote for him is a vote for a coalition of chaos. A weak leader propped up by the Liberal Democrats and the Scottish Nationalists. Every vote for me is a vote for strong and stable leadership in the national interest, building a stronger and more secure future for this country.
the exchanges between the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition have been unprecedentedly comprehensive. <laughs> we do wish to hear questions from backbenchers. Mr Ben Howlett. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thanks to this Conservative Government, the West of England has seen billions of pounds of investment in transport yeah. infrastructure. On frequent visits to Bath by the Transport Secretary and the Prime Minister, I've raised congestion and air pollution as well as a feasibility study on the long overdue A3646 link road to the east of Bath. Will the Prime Minister agree with me that the only way to secure this vital infrastructure project is for Bath residents to give me a renewed mandate on June the 8th? My honourable friend is absolutely right. I know he has been campaigning tirelessly on behalf of his constituents on this issue. Uh, I understand that Highways England is already considering a number of options to divert traffic away from Bath, as my honourable friend suggests. Of course, it's under this Conservative government that we've increased annual government infrastructure investment, but that's only possible with a strong economy, and that's only possible with a strong and stable Conservative leadership. And a vote for any other party is a vote for wrecking uh, our economy for a coalition of chaos uh, and that will do nothing to my honourable friend's constituents uh, for whom I hope he will continue to be able to work tirelessly. Angus Robertson! Will the, will the Prime Minister give a clear will the Prime Minister give a clear and unambiguous commitment to maintaining the triple lock on the state pension? Prime Minister! I've been very clear that under this Conservative Government we see we have seen uh, pensioners benefit uh, as a result of what we've done to the basic state pension. To the tune of £1,250 a year. And I am clear that under a Conservative Government pension and incomes would continue to increase. Mr Speaker, I asked the Prime Minister a pretty simple question, it's a yes or a no, and the Prime Minister failed to answer. So pensioners right across this land are right to conclude that this Tory Prime Minister plans to ditch the triple lock on the state pension. Mr Speaker, too many women already face pensions inequality and the Tories now won't even guarantee the pensions triple lock. And the only reason that they will not guarantee it is because they want to cut pensions. It's not the message to pensioners. You cannot trust this Prime Minister. You cannot trust the Tories on your pension. I say to everybody, as I've just said, if you want to know the party in government that has improved the lot of pensioners across this country, it is the Conservative Party. And under a Conservative government, uh, under a Conservative government, those pensioner incomes would continue to increase. And he talks about inequality for women. It's the change in the structure of the state pension introduced by this government that is going to improve the lot of women, uh, female pensioners in the future, that is going to be much better for them. But one thing that pensioners, one thing that pensioners in Scotland will know, as other voters in Scotland will know, is that if they believe in the union, there's only one way to vote, and that's to vote Conservative. Jason McCartney! 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My local CCG is planning to downgrade A&E at Huddersfield Royal Infirmary and move it to Halifax. This is being dictated by a disastrous PFI deal. I have been fighting these appalling plans alongside the community campaign group Hands Off HRI, led by Carl Deitch. Will the Prime Minister join me in praising the community campaign as led by Carl? Does she agree with me that patients should not be suffering as a result of these catastrophic PFI deals yes. signed by the last Labour yes. government? Yes. And will she ensure that communities like mine have their voices listened to properly? Minister! Well, can I say to my honourable friend that I know that he has, because it's an issue he's raised with me previously, I know he's been a tireless campaigner on this issue, he's been a strong voice for his local constituency, and he's put his case very persuasively to ministers. But he's absolutely right. It's Labour's disastrous PFI deals that are costing the NHS more than £1 billion every year. And, and, and the choice at the election will be clear. Do the people of Colne Valley want that strong voice for their local A&E with the ear of a strong Conservative government continuing to keep our economy strong and investing in our National Health Service? Or do they want the leader of the opposition and his coalition of chaos? Less money for our public services, less money for our National Health Service, fewer doctors, fewer nurses and worse health care for our constituents. Blink insult! Mr Speaker, my honourable friends for Redcar, Scunthorpe, Newport East, Allen and Deeside, Penniston and Stocksbridge, Cardiff South and Penarth and Hanethney are all proven local champions for their local steel communities. Yeah. Doesn't the Prime Minister agree that their ongoing presence in this place is vital for the future of our British steel industry? Yeah. 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 Minister. Well, can I, can I? Can I just say to the honourable gentleman that I know that he is uh, stand I believe he's standing down at the uh, election, having what? said that that was due to his significant and irreconcilable differences with the leadership of his uh, of his party. Uh, what what is important? What is What is important? What is important uh, for the steel industry in this country? I'm trying to help backbenchers be heard. Please help the chair to help backbench members. The Prime Minister. What is important for the steel industry in this country is that this government has taken action to support the steel industry. Uh, I was very pleased when I was visiting Wales yesterday to be able to visit a company that works with the steel industry, uh, 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 galvanises products, uh, uh, steel products, and they were talking about actually the greater uh, work that they're seeing and the improvement they're seeing in the steel industry. This Conservative government has taken steps to support the steel industry and will continue to do so. Robinson! Thank you, Mr Speaker. With the consultation on the Greater Manchester Spatial Framework now closed, I'd like to thank the 3,600 Cheadle residents who signed my petition. Yeah. It called for the Greenbelt in Cheadle, Hume, Heald, Green and Woodford to be protected and much-needed homes to be built on Brownfield land instead. Would my right honourable friend to the Prime Minister agree with me that we must press the brownfield sites to be identified and redeveloped and that protections for our precious green spaces can only be maintained under a strong Conservative government? Well, 
I, my honourable friend is absolutely right on this issue, and I know that she has been a strong campaigner and a strong champion for her constituents in Cheadle. And I can assure her that we're very clear uh, that the green belt must be protected. What we've set out in the white paper is that boundaries should only be uh, altered when local authorities have fully examined all other uh, reasonable options, such as making use of brownfield sites, as she herself has suggested. I know there was a, a great deal of interest in the consultation on the Greater Manchester Spatial Framework. I commend my honourable friend for the work that she did to gather the views of her constituents in uh, Cheadle, and I'm sure that those views will be taken into account as the response is developed. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Over the last six months, it's been announced that 2,000 jobs will be lost to York. Yesterday, Nestle announced 300 job losses, 156 of them in my constituency. Devastating for workers, their families and the community. Jobs, not products, being exported to the EU. And as ever, York skilled jobs replaced by low-wage, insecure work. In the light of the special deal at Nissan in Sunderland, will the Prime Minister meet with me, trade unions and the company to strike a special deal to save these jobs, avert the losses both now and the future? First of all, I think it's the Honourable Lady's right to raise this issue that has arisen, as she says, only yesterday of the announcement from Nestle. I think it should, we should be clear that Nestle have themselves been clear that this is not a decision that was affected by leaving the European Union. They said they've made it irrespective of that. But of course it's a worrying time for the workers and their families uh, at uh, Nestle, and uh, in both York and Newcastle. And I can assure her we're already in contact with the company to understand their plans and the next steps. My right honourable friend, the Business Secretary, will speak with senior Nestle representatives later today. DWP of course stands ready to put in place their rapid response service to support any workers made redundant by helping them back into employment as quickly as possible. And there are various ways in which Job Centre Plus can help. I think what is important is that we ensure that the support is there. And as I said, the Business Secretary will be speaking to Nestle representatives later today. Baron Davis! Speaker, record employment, the national living wage, strong national defences and keeping our promises on Europe. These are just some of the achievements that we can be proud this government has delivered. Does my right honourable friend uh, agree that it is only a vote for strong and stable Conservative leadership in the national interest on June the 8th that will continue to deliver on the economy, defence and a deal with Europe that will enable businesses such as the Gower Brewery and Residency Gower to continue to thrive by re-electing a Conservative MP for the second time? Well, I, I will say to my honourable friend, can I thank him for his question? And uh, he has, of course, since, his, since that uh, fantastic historical election uh, of him in, uh, in Gower, he has been a really powerful voice for his constituents, but also in, indeed for the, the needs of Wales more generally as well. And when I already referred to the fact that I was in Wales yesterday, I had the opportunity to speak to people in business and, and meet uh, voters and to hear of their concerns. Um, but my honourable friend goes absolutely to the heart of the matter when he says what is necessary is a good Brexit deal. That's crucial for businesses, it's crucial for jobs, and it's only achievable by a strong uh, and stable government. And every vote for me and the Conservatives and Conservative candidates at local level will strengthen our hand in those negotiations. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, the Scottish Tories' shameful defence of the rate clause failed because their claim that third-party reporting is in place is not true. Can the Prime Minister confirm no organisation in Scotland has yet signed up to help women fill in an eight-page why my child is a product of rape form? 
with DWP staff not trained either. Is the Prime Minister seriously going into this UK-wide election with this unworkable and immoral policy? Well, this is an incredibly sensitive issue. And that is why we have looked at it very carefully. We consulted very carefully on it. And we have put in place a series of sensitive measures when such cases arise. But I think it's important that we look at what lies behind this, because underpinning this policy is a principle of fairness, and we know that what the SNP want to do is actually to scrap the policy in its entirety. We believe that people who are in work have to make the same decisions as those people who are out of work, so that people who are on benefits should have to decide whether they can afford more children. Sturdy! Thank you, Mr. Speaker. York is a fantastic place to live, work, and start a business. But transport infrastructure is key for the city to fulfil its economic potential. Duty the Northern Ring Road, a new railway station at Haxby, upgrading the A64 will all help secure York's future. So will the Prime Minister to con- continue to improve infrastructure, secure a strong economy and deliver for regions like Yorkshire? Yeah. Well, my honourable friend has raised a very important point. We've been able to invest in York. £1.6 million this year for transport improvements, £2.2 million for highways maintenance and £1.3 million to support the Sustainable I Travel York initiative. But you can only invest in infrastructure if you've got the strong and stable leadership that secures a strong economy. And that's what the choice in June is going to be. It's very clear. Strong economy guaranteeing investment across the country in York and other parts of the country under the Conservatives or bankruptcy and chaos with Labour. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As the Prime Minister knows fixed odds betting terminals cause immense harm in communities. On taking office she authorised a review of maximum stakes and all the evidence for that was collected by the end of last year. Why do we still not have a result and will she today show some leadership and reduce the maximum stake on these appalling machines to £2. Prime Minister! First of all, I recognise this is an issue that has been uh, raised by a number of members of this House and, and who have uh, raised concerns about it. The answer to the... We did indeed have that consultation and there will be a government response to that. Of course, that response... Well, get on with it, we're told. Actually, we are now in a situation... We're now in a situation where these things will be published after the Perda period and after the general election. So the honourable gentleman, will have, right honourable gentleman, will have to wait for that response. But obviously we recognise the concern in this issue and we'll be responding in due course. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Should the Prime Minister find herself in the vicinity of Milton Keynes over the next few weeks, may, may I suggest a visit to Milton Keynes Hospital? where she will find rising clinical standards and investment going in like a new ward, a new medical school and a new cancer treatment centre. Well, can I uh, thank my honourable friend? I think I will be visiting uh, parts of the uh, communities around the whole country over the uh, the next few weeks. But I want to uh, congratulate the staff at Milton Keynes University Hospital for achieving that rating. As my honourable friend has said, though, it was backed up by considerable investment. And as we know, between 2015 and 2020, over half a trillion pounds is being spent on the NHS in England. And it's only possible because we've safeguarded the economy over the last seven years. And I've said, as I've said previously today, that's only possible in the future if we secure the strong and stable leadership our country needs. 
needs. And uh, as I said, in Wales, Labour have been cutting the health budget. So, so what, could I invite the Prime Minister, instead of going to Milton Keynes, to visit me in Southampton and do a... Do a tour and do a tour of Southampton schools. And if she does, she will find that those schools are in despair about the cutting pupil funding of 10% in Southampton, £475 per pupil, equivalent to a loss of almost 400 teaching jobs across the city. She'd find find also one school that is inviting parents to clean the school toilets. Order, I think the Honourable Gentleman has got his point across with considerable force. The Prime Minister. It's, um, it's perfectly possible I might find myself in Southampton over the, uh, over the coming weeks. Um, as, I've said, however, as I've said before in this House, there's been a general agreement that the current funding formula is not fair, and Labour did nothing in 13 years of government to address it. It's important that we get it right. We will be responding into the consultation in due course. But what is good uh, news for schools in the Honourable Gentleman's constituency is we now see 7,000 more children in good or outstanding schools in his constituency. And under our proposed reforms, overall funding for schools in his constituency would rise. As he steps down after 44 years' service in the House, I call Sir Alan Hazelhurst. Can my right honourable friend assure me that her second government will have high regard for matters of great concern to the Saffron Walden constituency, namely improved railways with extra track capacity as in line with the West Anglia and Great Eastern Task Force reports, the spread of fast broadband to rural communities and an airspace regime which prioritises noise reduction? Prime Minister! Can I first of all pay tribute to my right honourable friend for his service not just to his constituents over the years, but for his service to this House when he took the chair as Deputy Speaker of this this House. He has been a stalwart and a champion of the people of Saffron Walden over the years, for 40 years as the Speaker has said. Uh, He's right to raise the issues of infrastructure spending. We, in the budget, included £40 million for the East of England. But of course, as I think my right honourable friend implied in his question, it is only possible to do that with the strong economy that comes from a strong and stable government. And and for Saffron Walden, that will mean seeing a Conservative government elected on the 8th of June. Stephen Patterson! Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent, Mr Buchanan, has suffered several serious strokes and requires extensive care. He was deemed to have missed his ATOS appointment and assessment when ATOS arrived early for that appointment and his carers haven't got him up yet. Uh, His benefits were stopped. Why has this government's welfare regime, why is it punishing vulnerable people like my constituent? Prime Minister! What we want to ensure is that we have a system in place that does properly assess people who are applying for benefits. The have, as as he has referred to, and as other members will know, there have been some issues around the way in which that uh, uh, system has operated, and that's why the DWP has been looking very carefully at it to ensure that it does make proper assessments and delivers the right results for people. Mr Peter Lilly! Does my right honourable friend realise I'm standing down after 34 years because of her. Because I have confidence 
that the country will be safe after the election under her strong and stable leadership. Does she realise that seizing the does she agree that seizing the opportunities from regaining control over our laws, our money, our borders and our trade will be more important than the terms of any exit deal? And does she recognise that to get a re reasonable deal, we must accept that no deal is indeed better than a bad deal? And to deny this signals that no price is too high, no concession too grovelling to accept a recipe for the worst possible deal. So I wish my right honourable friend, all honourable members and this house I love, Godspeed. Prime Minister! Well, can I thank uh, my right honourable friend for the tremendous contribution that he has made through his years as a member of this house, not only for his constituents, but also for the time that he spent in government as a valued minister in a Conservative government. He has rightly highlighted the importance of the decision that was taken last year by the people of the United Kingdom. I commend him. He played a role in that referendum campaign. It is right that we get on with that job of delivering Brexit, of making a success of it. That does mean a strong hand in negotiations, and the only way uh, to ensure that that is the case, the only way to ensure that for the people of Hitchin and Harpenden and the whole of the UK is to ensure a Conservative government is elected on the 8th of June. Sir Geoffrey Donaldson! Thank you, Mr Speaker. We do need a strong Prime Minister to lead this nation, but we also need the countries of this nation to have a strong voice too. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that those who abstain from taking their seats in this House, those who are denying the people of Northern Ireland the, the government, the formation of a government, uh, are denying their constituents a say in the future of this country, and we will not allow that to happen? Uh, the Honourable Gentleman is absolutely right. Of course, it is important um, that the constituents who elect members of Parliament feel that those members of Parliament are able to do their job, are able to bring their concerns here to this House and play a full part in this chamber. And he's also right that we want to ensure that every part of the United Kingdom has a strong voice. That's why it's important that we continue to work for the restoration of the devolved administrations in Northern, Ar administration Northern Ireland. Thank you. Sir Eric Pickle. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister has shown considerable leadership in adopting the IRA definition of anti Semitism. Does she believe it's the duty of all party leaders within this House not just to play lip service to it, but to do something about it? And does she share my sorry about that. And does she share my disgust that a former member of this House, criticised by the Home Affairs Select Committee for his anti Semitic utterances is now the official candidate in, Brad in Bradford East for the, for the Liberal Democrats. Can I, can I first, first of all pay tribute to my right honourable friend, my chum, uh, in this uh, house over for, for all the service that he has given and not just for his service in this House, but he had a considerable record in local government before he came into this House. 
and he has also, uh, in his time and the work that he has done on anti-Semitism, performed a very important role. He has had a relentless drive to stamp out anti-Semitism and indeed intolerance in all its forms in our communities and he should be proud of the record that he has and the work that I know he will be continuing to do as a champion uh, uh, for this, uh, on this issue. He's right to highlight Bradford, of course. My right honourable friend has a particular knowledge of that, uh, of that city. And people will be, I think, rightly disappointed to see the Liberal Democrats re-adopt a candidate with a questionable record on anti-Semitism. It is important that all parties maintain the strongest possible censure on all forms of intolerance and send that message to our communities. Tim Farron. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In the, uh, in the, in the nine minutes, in the nine months that the Prime Minister has held her office, she has closed the door on desperate child refugees. She has ignored. She has ignored the plight of those suffering under the crisis in health and social care, and she is responsible for these shameful rape clause. Twenty years ago, she berated the Conservative Party for being the nasty party, but her party has never been nastier. But the legacy of this Parliament, the legacy... Uh, order! Whatever the strength of feeling, the right honourable gentleman must be heard. Mr Tim Farron. And the legacy of this Parliament, though, the legacy of this Parliament is the utter abject failure of Her Majesty's official opposition to effectively hold her government to account for any of it. Is it not time that Britain had a strong, decent, new opposition? Prime Minister! First of all, let me just pick up the point he made on child refugees. This government has a proud record on supporting refugees from Syria. We have been the second biggest bilateral donor to uh, the region in order to support millions of refugees, to educate children, as I saw when I visited Jordan recently. And of course, we've also supported some of the most vulnerable refugees, including children, in bringing them here to make a new life in the United Kingdom. He talks about a decent opposition. I find it difficult to hear those words coming from his mouth when we've just heard that his party has selected a candidate with questionable views on anti-Semitism. Sir Gerald Howarth! Mr Speaker, it has been an immense privilege to serve the people of Cammock and Burntwood and Aldershot for the past 34 years. I arrived in 1983 when one formidable and determined female Conservative Prime Minister was transforming, transforming the country's economic fortunes, and I depart and, uh, as another is determined to restore to this country the status of a sovereign nation-state, embracing the rest of the world. And as I too bid my right on front the Prime Minister Godspeed for a resounding victory uh, on, the 7th, uh, on the 8th of June, may, may all the shot. May, may, all, may all the shots just make one final plea in these troubled times. Please will she ensure that Her Majesty's armed forces are properly funded, manned, equipped and housed to defend and protect the people of this glorious sceptred isle, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Well, uh, once again, can I... Can I 
pay tribute to the work that my honourable friend has done in this House, representing, as he has done over the 34 years, two different constituencies. But of course, one of the underlying themes of his uh, time in this House has been his passionate championing of the armed forces and his consideration for our armed forces. And I can assure him that, of course, on the 8th of June, people will have a very clear choice between uh, the right honourable gentleman who refuses to defend our country and a Conservative government that will continue to support our armed forces. Graham Morris. Can I ask the Prime Minister why is she running scared of the televised leadership debates? And may I, may I suggest that she holds such a televised debate in Easington Colliery Miners' Welfare, yes. where she can see the consequences of seven years of her policies on housing, on cuts to policing, 500 people at Walkers losing their jobs, and explain to the people, if that is possible, that she has any mandate to seek their support in the re-election. I've been, I've been in televised debates with the Right Honourable Gentleman, the Leader of Opposition, week in and week out since I took over as Prime Minister. And I will be taking, I will be taking across all parts of this country a fine record for a Conservative government. He talks about housing, twice the number of council houses built under Conservatives that were built under Labour, uh, record funding into our National Health Service, record funding into our schools, and pensioners are on the basic state pension £1,250 a year better off. That's a proud record of the Conservatives and a record that we will continue after the 8th of June. Yeah. Mike Wood. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It, it's good to be back, and to be honest, it's good to be anywhere. <laughs> Doctors and nurses at Russell's Hall Hospital saved my life in January. But each year in the UK, 44,000 people are less lucky. Uh, will my right honourable friend look at how we can take the measures we can take to reduce deaths from sepsis, including awareness raising, uh, including a national registry uh, to properly record the burden of sepsis, and uh, effective commissioning levers uh, to incentivise best practice? The UK Sepsis Trust estimates that measures like these will save 50,000 lives over the next Parliament. Yeah. Yeah. Minister. Can, I, can I say to my honourable friend that it's fantastic to see him back in his place and I, think, I hope he will have noted the welcome he got from across the House for being back in his place. Uh, but he's absolutely right to bring a focus on this issue of this devastating condition of sepsis and every death from it of course is a tragedy but as we know something like 10,000 deaths per year could be avoided through prevention, early diagnosis and treatment. So uh, we do need to get better at spotting sepsis across the NHS. The Department of Health is already beginning work on a new sepsis action plan. Um, we're having a new public awareness campaign and we expect a nice quality standard to be published later this year. And uh, with the passion that my honourable friend now brings to this campaign, I'm sure he will continue to make his voice heard on this important issue. George Howarth. Uh, yesterday, Mr Speaker, my right honourable friend for Lee, who will be much missed in this House, had a debate on contaminated blood in which he called for an independent Hillsborough-style panel to get at the truth. The Prime Minister has praised the independent panel approach 
as a way of opening up the door to justice. So will she join with Labour and the SNP in committing to setting up such a process in her party's manifesto? Well, last July uh, we committed 125 million of extra funding for those affected by the contaminated blood tragedy of the 70s and 80s, and that's more than any previous government has provided. Um, we published some proposed reforms last year. We're now consulting on a new measure to allow people affected to benefit from higher annual payments. But I can assure everybody that everyone will receive at a minimum what they receive now as a result of the proposed changes, and the Department of Health will respond to the consultation in due course. I'm Angela Watkinson. It was a privilege to win back the seat of Upminster in 2001 for the Conservatives. Yeah. Would my right honourable friend tell the House why the good people of Hornchurch and Upminster should continue to vote Conservative at the coming election? Well, can I, can I first of all... Can I first of all pay tribute to my honourable friend for the, uh, for the contribution that she has made, not just for her constituents, but also in the time that she served in the Whip's office, for example, in this, uh, in this House. And I'm very happy to tell the constituents, the voters of Hornchurch and Upminster, that every vote for me and the local Conservative candidate will strengthen our hand in the Brexit negotiations to get the best deal for this country. And every vote, every vote for me and the local Conservative candidate will be a vote for a stronger economy and every vote for me and the local Conservative candidate will be a vote for a strong and stable leadership in the national interest compared to the coalition of chaos we would see under the Labour Party. Douglas, Mr Douglas Carswell. What assurances can the Prime Minister give to the 3.8 million people that voted UKIP at the last election that if she is Prime Minister after June the 8th, the United Kingdom will become a sovereign country again, living under our own parliament, making our own laws. I will give an assurance to all those people who voted for the United Kingdom to leave the European Union and for all people across the country, regardless of how they voted, who now want to see this government getting on with the job of Brexit and making a success of it, that we want to see control of our borders, control of our laws, control of our money, and that's what we will deliver. In wishing the Right Honourable Gentleman all the best for the future, I call Sir Simon Byrne. Mr Speaker, may I thank you for that. May I tell my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, that for 30 years I have had the privilege and the honour to represent the great people of Chelmsford. May I also tell her that the great people of Chelmsford are perspicacious and they have always wanted a government that provides strong defences, strong economy and strong leadership. And may I tell my right honourable friend that it is the Conservative Party under her strong leadership that will deliver for this country for the next five years. Well, can I can I thank can I thank Honourable Friend for the significant contribution that he has made uh, to for his constituents in Chelmsford and in this House and in government over his period of time. Uh, and can I say to him that he is absolutely right. 
His constituents will be looking for strong defences, for a strong economy, for the strong leadership that will build a more secure future for this country. And it is only a Conservative government that can provide that. Alex Salmond, in this Brexit world, the Prime Minister is desperate to have trade deals with anybody and nobody. So the International Trade Secretary went to the Philippines this month, appeared with the President and said he wanted a strong relationship based on shared values. Can the Prime Minister identify for the House what shared values that she has in common with President Rodrigo Duterte? Well, the the right honourable gentleman is right that as we leave the European Union, we want to ensure that we are a truly global Britain, that we do have trade deals around the rest of the world. And the reason we want those trade deals, as well as the strong and secure, deep and special partnership with the European Union on trade, is so that we can ensure prosperity across the whole of this country and jobs for ordinary working families. Order! Point of order! Various points of order! We'll come to points of order, but I think the Honourable...